Yes, guys, welcome back to another episode of Teams Like Bryson. And ladies and gentlemen, doesn't a week change your mood? My God, we got we went from the lowest to the lowest to the highest of highs. I tell you what, it was going to be a great one, wasn't it, Richie? Well, we didn't expect it, but <laughs> by gum, was it? I mean, yeah, as you say, we were in the proper doldrums on, on Monday. And then on Sunday, you just blow away the team that have been for 95% of the season, the best team in the league. Um, and he did it with style and, and panache and with ease. It was just, yeah. First half was a, a fairly even affair, like sort of decent chances for both teams. But then second half, Brighton just stepped up a gear. They were fantastic. And it's, I mean, I can't think of another team that's taken City to, sorry, Arsenal to the cleaners in that way, especially at home. I don't think anyone's done that really. City maybe, but I don't think in terms of the, the manner of the the victory in the in the margin of the, the scoreline, um, yeah, they just really really stepped up. I was really pleased for a number of players. Matoma was back to his best. Ben White, see you later. Every day of the week, some just yeah had him. He will be so glad to see the back of him. He just yeah all day in his pocket. Uh, Colwell was fantastic. He, um, we can come on to him a little bit later because there was specific um, sort of tactics that he were given that he pulled off uh, fantastically. But he, yeah, he did a really, really good job. His ray of passing is fantastic. He was very, very solid at the back with Dunk. You know, it's such a, um, it's basically polar opposites to the Everton game, you know, when they were behind after 30 seconds and, you know, conceded five goals. Uh, they didn't really, Arsenal didn't have that many big chances I'd say there was there was ones where you're thinking oh if, if they were a bit more clinical maybe but in terms of really big clear-cut chances Brighton definitely had the um the lion's share of those um and yeah there was just I think the Caicedo obviously we'll come to him a little bit later I mean yeah he was brilliant at right back uh, that's uh hopefully that sort of um because you've got Veltman and Lamptey out injured at right back, hopefully he, he could be, I mean, obviously he is a better player in midfield, but if that is sort of still a, a big gaping hole for Brighton, that could, he could fill that, I think, touch wood. Um, we shall see. But yeah, he's done, you know, he did a, a pretty good job against Marcus Rashford for Manchester, against Manchester United a week or so ago, and then did an even better job Um against Martinelli and Trossard, which was uh, quite fun to see. Um, the guy who left Brighton for Arsenal to, to um, well, a little bit of comeuppance perhaps for him. But yes, a really, really impressive performance. The second half was fantastic. The, the amount of plaudits to come in the way from the likes of Gary Neville, Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira, Jamie Carragher, it was just, um, this was a real statement of intent to bounce back from a, a humbling defeat. And this really does put Brighton uh, in pole position for, I think, a Europa League spot. What do you reckon, Tom? Oh, straight in with the with the European shout right there. But, um, yeah, the game was superb. I was... We, we, we talked about it, didn't we, um, in the last episode about how we're be- we seem to be better off when we don't have the lion's share of possession. And clearly De Zerbi <clears throat> saw that as well. And we definitely delved in into the dark arts of gamesmanship and 
bending the rules to our advantage without breaking it, so to speak. And that works wonders for us because Arsenal really struggle to get their typical dominating, high pressing start of play in. And I think that was the difference. That's the reason why we came up victors in such a convincing manner. We played a completely different brand, I think. We yet while we did still have our um our usual our, our usual groove and mojo throughout the whole game, we st- we still changed quite a lot of the like the specifics and tactics, and it just works wonders for us. But going to your question, Richie. Europe in t- is Europe possibility? I think it is now. I, I think we're I think we're back in this case of check your passports, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you've got holiday insurance. Make sure uh, um, you know where where you're flying in and out to because I, I I can honestly now see us really pushing on from this because I can't see Spurs turning their form around. What what? Dare I say, I, I think really now our hopes are back into it after that Everton defeat. We need we needed a big result, and this was the perfect one. It really, it really was. It really was. So it's almost like as if it's it, it's cancelled it out, which is fantastic because I think most people would have expected us to beat Everton and lose to Arsenal, but we lost to Ever- uh, lost to Everton, but we beat Arsenal. So really, we're still we're, we're now back in the same groove again, which is fantastic. We've got. A, We've got the we've got a match against Southampton to deal with on Sunday, and we'll talk about that later on in the week. But relegation is confirmed for them, and that tends to give them no pressure now, because most players will now be looking to state their claim, staying with the club, or you know, more likely leave. Leave, yeah, to kind of like do a bit of window shopping and say, "Hey, I'm on offer here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's come and get me." So it'll be interesting to see how we set up, but we we need a result there to really capitalise on this win against Arsenal, because then we've got the small matter of Newcastle City to deal with as well. Hang on a sec, is Newcastle this on Thursday as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, so yeah, we've got thir- we've got Thursday to deal with with Newcastle. So I'm, I'm getting lost with the co- with the fixture congestion here. Then we've got Southampton. I mean, if we could get if we could get a result from Newcastle, but I'm not expecting us to get wins against Newcastle. And I'm not expecting us to get wins against City, but we stay exactly the same place as we are, which is brilliant. We've got a bit of breathing space there, so I think capitalize on the Southampton match and really push on. And get a result against Villa. I think that's how it's going to be played out. But if we could get a result against Newcastle and beat Southampton, then we're, we're we're in the driving seat for this. And I'm cannot wait for that. So yeah, European spots in Europe are definitely up for grabs. Conference League is now, I think, an absolute minimum in Deserby's eyes. I, th- I think now we're in this case where we could really be in Europa League. Yeah, I think just look at the table here. So. Brighton have played 34, got 58 points. Spurs and Villa, much worse goal difference, have played two games more on a point back on 57. So obviously, if Brighton just win two more games, that's it. That's secure. I really hope it doesn't come down to a case of last day of the season, Brighton need to to win at Villa or... I hope the pressure will be off 
I there's I still think there's going to be another twist or turn to come. I mean, no one would have expected Everton. No one would have expected Arsenal. I think it's fair to say in the final four games, there might be another upset or another crazy result in there. Um, City, yeah. City could be winning the league this weekend without kicking a ball either. I, let, let's face it, they're going to win the league this weekend. I'll, I'll be amazed if it's delayed to us, to them coming to the Amex and beating us and win it at the Amex for the second time in their history. So, yeah. and that'll be interesting. If they win the league, what's Guardiola going to do? Is he going to rotate? Is he going to... Probably. Is, is Pep Roulette going to be spinning once again in ways that we, that us fantasy football managers absolutely despise it'd be it'll be interesting to see what happens there but like, could, we've could got we see a to... repeat could we see a repeat of the brighton amazing comeback in 20 2021 no big dan sorry big dan burns left <laughs> big dan burns left that, that i mean that was just that that i mean that was just a, a quality result but again city won the league by then i think I want to say yeah they? yeah they they already won it then so you know it, it, it's in our hands really so it'll be interesting to see what happens next but look we're digressing ever so slightly because we need to talk about the game and there's a few people we want to single out in this um for me Moises Caicedo, absolute masterclass once again it, it, it's ridiculous the fact that this guy is 21 years old okay and he's just the way he plays and the the crucial challenges that he put in, he's not afraid to stick it, stick it on the line, especially in the penalty box where there was what I thought was a pretty easy penalty shout when I looked on the telly and I panicked and I thought, oh God, here we go again. Ref didn't have anything to do with it. And Eddie Nketiah, the player got fouled, well, got tackled, um, didn't appeal it or anything. Like there, there was no appeal from any of the Arsenal fans, any of the Arsenal players. And when you looked at the replay, you could see why it was a fantastic challenge from the, from the Ecuadorian. And I, and that was just only just the tip of the iceberg of how good the performance was from him. He was solid in the midfield. He read every single passing channel you can get, which at Arsenal, there are a lot. And he just managed to read every single one. He even did an interception. If he's going in on the one-on-one, he's won most of them anyway. Best part, 95% of them. And the other 5%, he he just diverts them away. So he goes to a defender where they get absolutely clashes. He, I can't get over how good this player is. And it's such a shame when Deserby said at the end of it that, you know, we, we've got to expect to lose Caicedo and McAllister next season. Because yeah. I'm, 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 I'm loving the duo in that midfield there. Because why did he have to say that? He had to say so that. Well. He's been realistic. I've fair play to him for being that open and honest. I like it. But how good, just how good is this guy? I mean, he, I know he talks about he's the dream to play for Real Madrid. He could walk in Real Madrid easily. He could walk in that side. I, I'm, I, I know I may sound a tad delusional, but tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Just, just a quick point on Casada. So I found some stats. Um, so, and this backs up your point, Tom. Uh, most duels won at 14. Most tackles made at five. Most fouls won at five. Had 67 touches. Um, and three take-ons completed. Um, and then the, the stat from score colliders, if you can't beat them, why join them? 
um, but yeah, to your point, he he was um, he was fantastic. He really was. He 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 honestly was. And you know, we could we could sing about so many plays. You know, we've done the shout out of Matoma um, running. Ben White raggies. I mean, that's what you get, really. He's not he's not a right back. You look at the batters that Matoma's had against Serge Aurier and Aaron Wambasaka of late, and they were tough shifts because they're out and out right backs. When you've got a centre back or defensive midfielder as a makeshift right back or an, an inverted right back, um, it, it, it's it's going to be plain sailing for him. There's only ever going to be one winner in that, and that's going to be our Japanese winger. So. Again, it, it made it made things very easy on the left and sometimes on the right as well. When I saw early on him and Ciso uh, changing over, but look, another another thing we've got to talk about because it was just such a good goal. The second goal, Dennis Undav, just in the right place, right time. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, just celebrating it, owning it. He loves a lob. He love. He, he, can we just get some? Um, Battered cods on those chips, please, because nah, I've got I'm nice. loving it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I, I think I speak for many, many Brighton fans who would be oh, just really chuffed for him because he's had a very tough time adapting to the league. And I personally have have uh, raised doubts about his quality and if he's good enough. Um, so it's taken his time, and I definitely think there were games where sort of criticism was merited. Um, but he's yeah, he's come good in the last few weeks. Obviously, scored two uh, two goals against Wolves, and then got a fantastic goal against Arsenal. Yeah, as you say, a lovely uh, uh, nonchalantly lobbed it over um, Jose Sarr a couple of weeks ago in the sixth win over Wolves, and then same again against Ramsdale. I actually think this one was probably better because the one against Wolves, he had his time to sort of pick his spot. He had his options and then decided to go for the lovely sort of dinked um, lob. But this one was, um, you know, Trossard lost the ball. I think it ricochets off Gross and then comes to him and it's bouncing away. And he just has to have a quick sort of second or so to look up, see Ramses off his line and then executes. Um, and that was a really, really good instinctive finish. Um, loved his celebration and how he was, um, and we can segue onto a little bit that you're going to talk about, uh, Tomo, but... Uh, yeah, I loved it. You know, he was the photo of him is just pure ecstasy, just running towards the fans, then turning back to his teammates, engulfed by all of them. The celebrations to them is fantastic. There's quite a few photos on, on Getty images, but it are really uh, worth a look at. Um, and then he went into the away fans, um, and he uh, there was a certain someone in in the, the traveling faithful, Tom. Yeah, I, I, I think this is just it, it's. It's poetic almost the fact that um, the gentleman we're about to talk to um, was there in that moment. Undav's goal really solidified that, you know, our hopes of Europe are now back on track. And the fact that he was able to celebrate it and a guy there was in giving it the thumbs up in front of the camera was a guy named Paul Samra. Now, if you don't know who Paul Samra is, um, one, where where have you been? Um, two, <clears throat> Paul, Paul Samra was... A Brighton fan in the 90s who was significant. In... Keep talking, one sec. <laughs> He's off. He is significant in 
Brighton's most most darkest hour. He's the reason for it. He's the reason behind you know books like Build a Bonfire was there as Richie's uh, everywhere. Yeah. For, for those who are listening on Spotify or other podcast platforms, Richie had to run to go and get the Build a Bonfire copy. And if you haven't read Build a Bonfire, um, it's, I, a I, it, it's essential reading for any Bryson fan or anyone who has some sort of following to the album. To I get an understanding of what happened under Bill Archer and under David Bellotti at at the Albion in the nineties when they sold the Goldstone, because he's the reason why it all started. He found in the Articles of Association that something changed so that Greg Stanley, um, David Bellotti and Bill Archer could profit from the sale of uh, Brighton and Hove Albums Ground, the Goldstone. He's the one that started it all off. And if it wasn't for him being curious to see what's changed and reading through those documents, and I've actually had the pleasure of meeting him once. He says, he's like, you know, I, I, I'm a very boring gentleman and I like to read through that kind of stuff. If it wasn't for him doing that, Lord knows what it would be. So the fact that he was there in that moment, easily the most important football fan in the history of world football, I'm going to go out there. He is so significant to it. And to be there in that moment where we are just inches away from European football next season in a place that we could call our own. Again, someone who was at the forefront of us campaigning to get a stadium at Falmer, to get us back home to Brighton after a couple of seasons at Priestfield in Gillingham, 180-mile round trip for a home match. There were away games that were shorter than that. To then get, get in our stadium, to have getting Dick Knight involved with Tony Bloom stepping in, all of that would never have happened if it wasn't for Paul Samra. So I think I speak on behalf of all fans. And I know so many people on Twitter and social media have spoken aloud from this, but I think it's only right that we have to say this, that, you know, Paul, I hope you enjoy, I hope you've enjoyed this season. I've hope you, I hope you enjoy the rest of the season. Um, if anyone deserves it more and deserves to be serenade by all the fans, it should be you because, you know, when, when this all happened, I was a kid, I was four, I was four or five years old, but you know, my dad made sure that, what happens during the nineties is really instilled in my head as well. So the fact that these, the, these fans who really were at the forefront campaigning, getting the FA involved, you know, fans United, all that stuff, that they should be the ones that should be serenaded and thanks on the pitch. If, if it gets confirmed because their, their contribution in football as a whole is second to none. So yeah, Paul, thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed uh, hugging uh, Dennis and Dav. I'm very jealous. And uh, here's to the rest of the season. Lovely. An excellent raconteur, Tom, is there. But uh, yes, so just going back to to Undav, there was a really interesting um, takeaway from one of his uh, post-match quotes um, with Sky Sports. And he essentially said, um, in in terms of, uh, he was also, I I guess, you know, how do you pick yourselves up from the Everton loss? And he said... um, and I quote, to the whole team, Deserby showed us a video from a famous person, Michael Jordan. Um, he was the, and he said, for me, it's LeBron James, but let's say he's the greatest basketball player ever. Um, he he showed us after the defeat um, how how he got, sorry, he showed us how he, uh, Michael Jordan got motivated and how he motivated himself every game. Um, he showed us how after the Everton defeat to respond, 
how we prepared for the game today and how mentally strong we are. So I love that, you know, just showing Michael it. Jordan videos. Um, if anyone's seen the last dance that documentary, that's fantastic. I just wonder if he, if it was the video, I took that personally. I took that yeah, yeah, exactly that. I'm just thinking, is it just going to be like edited versions of all the mistakes that we did in Everton? And then it's just Michael Jordan just going, and I took that personally. I took that like, personally. It's just every single time. That's all I'm thinking of right now. Just there, Dennis Undab. Yeah, I'm taking this personally. I'm taking everything personally now. <laughs> it's yeah. like just instilling that me- mentality and that mindset. In. I-, I think it's, and, and I think that's a testament as well to his man management again. Deserby's man management has been second to none. He knows how to motivate the players in ways that none other football manager at the club has done in the past. And I love it. And I think that's been the major difference as to where we were as a mid-table side to now fighting for Europe because, I mean, with all due respect, Potter had a degree in emotional intelligence, but he didn't really apply it in the way that deserving especially when he was at Chelsea especially when he was at Chelsea especially when he was at Chelsea but look Deserby's being he he just finds a way and the fact that he said after the Everton match Brighton will be back against Arsenal you'll see the proper Brighton play again against Arsenal and everyone you know if you're neutral you'll be thinking yeah whatever mate wishful thinking hot air and then you watch it and you just think my god but every Brighton fan who read that and saw that they were kind of thinking okay here we go because we knew what deserby has to offer when he says those words you know you don't have to read between the lines you know what he means you know what he's saying you just you just know the message that he said in the dressing room you know the message that he's going to send in, in on the training pitch and you know what the team talk was at the emirates and it's second to none and the fact that he, again michael jordan for me one of my one of the best sporting athletes ever in my lifetime you know, the fact that he, he, he gets a little dub on Brighton as well. Good link-up play there. That's a great article there. Michael Jordan and Brian Hanover Albion, there's an SEO, there's an SEO track everyone's going to love to jump uh, on. Yeah, I did. Well, yeah, I did that and I also talked about because he yeah said LeBron James. So I've got that in the headline. But um, I was I was <laughs> going to ask, um, I was going to ask uh, Zerbi about that quote, but then someone nipped in ahead of me. Um, so he you know, was asked, you know, about about this. And then, and I've said this many times, Deserby is really good for little anecdotes or little tidbits or little sound bites. Uh, he said, Undav speaks too much. <laughs> so, it. yeah, love it. Um, so, yes, but just uh, changing tune a little bit, um, we, uh, I guess everyone has seen that um, the goal scorer, first goal scorer in, um, uh, in Chiza went off, but it going by what Deserby said, it doesn't look too serious. Um, obviously, Brighton really can't afford to lose any more players with the amount of people currently on the sidelines. But um, he said, uh, I don't think it is anything important, um, which is good because... Brighton can't afford to lose any more players. Uh, he was also played out of position. He said, I think Nciso can play better, but didn't play in the right position for him. We were playing without Solid March. Uh, Bonanotti had a small problem before the game. and We had to adapt some players in not really the right position. Um, so, but yeah, I, I thought I thought uh, Nciso had a, had a decent game. Um, nothing spectacular, but uh, pretty, pretty good. But yeah, just, just one thing I want to add before we go on to um, a more... 
debatable topic. So after Brighton lost 4-2 to Arsenal at the Amex back in on New Year's Eve, um, basically Colwell said Martin Odegaard was very good. Uh, basically talked about the best player that he faced this season. Um, having to get close to him, wow, the levels he reached that day were so impressive. Hopefully in a few more years it will be different a different result in a one-to-one with him, but it was a it was a good experience just despite the result. Well, fast forward five or so months and Colwell, ding, 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 I think he won that round and that battle. Um, and what was interesting is that, so um, after the game, Deserbia was asked about Matoma showing courage um, to sort of bounce back from maybe some, from, from not so good games and being absolutely clattered by Martinelli. I think that probably could have been a red card, the way that he he just sort of, I think what was it he kind of just barged into him, but and knocked him like hit into his head from his like hip. I thought that was an absolutely reckless challenge. Um, but anyway, uh, so after the game, he was asked that, but then instead of saying about Matoma, Deserbi said this. He said the best example of courage was Colwell. Because we defended man to man, and the man for Colwell was Odegaard, and Colwell defended for 90 minutes against Odegaard. He went 80, 90 meters away from the goalkeeper, Jason Steele. This is the courage. And I think there's, a, there's some interesting stats on, on, on Twitter um, or just sort of graphics that show how far Colwell went to man mark um, Odegaard, who is one of the best players in the Premier League. 15 goals this season. Uh, I think around 10 assists or something, you know, 25 gold bombs around about that. Fantastic player. Arguably got the one of the assists of the season at the Amex um, to set up Martinelli um, back in December. So, but for him to, so, you know, to sort of be pressing him constantly up, you know, near Arsenal's penalty area, you know, it was really drawn out of position, but Deserby gave him a task and he stuck to it. And, Odegaard was was substituted. You don't. You, this is a guy who who scored, um, I, th- I think maybe one or two goals against Southampton recently when they were you know three one down looked like they were going to lose the game. Um, he is your go to guy. So to to bring him off because it's not working, that's a resounding defeat in my eyes, and that is massively down to Levi Colwell. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we saw Webster get subbed off in the Everton match and I think it was quite clear that he's got no chance of making a starting appearance against Arsenal and Cole will, you know he showed glimmers of hope in the Everton match as as well as he possibly could do but we needed more out of that but Cole will had the chance to you know secure his place in the first team once again against Arsenal and the fact that he's playing against easily one of the most creative midfielders in my books in Martin Odegaard like the Arsenal captain he he's kind of like being their captain Marvel as well he's he, he's he's a leader by example the fact that we gave him a really quiet shift and frustrated him and stopped him playing and controlling that midfield again was another instrumental and stroke of genius move from Deserby to make sure that he does the job and like you say like 80 90 meters away from the goalkeeper like if if Colwell messed up in any way, shape or form, yeah. there was a huge gap there at the back to be exposed. And the only person there to cover it 
is dunk. And if they did, if they managed to cut into that little half space there, you know, dunk's caught in no man's land. And then you're going to be looking at, you know, a gold or two from that. Did it happen? No, because Colwell's a genius. He's a defending genius. I think, is he still a teenager? As he's, well, he turned twenty a, f- a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah only okay, twenty. So yeah, he's twenty. So the guy, I mean, he's got a whole career for it to look forward to. He's got easily ten years at least at the highest level to just, you know, make it his make, make it his plaything, because he's such a he's such a he's a technically gifted footballer, but he's such a brilliant defensive-minded player that he's got that tactical nuance about him where he can read the game well and know where the threats are coming from. And to have that in your squad is going to be fantastic. And he's he's got to be our number one target in the summer. He's got to be, especially if we get Europe. Because, I can't, again, I've, I've always said, it, I can't see Colwell getting in that Chelsea squad because the, the depth at Chelsea at the back is ridiculous. I do think he's better than most, but I don't think the next manager is going to see that. I don't think Pochettino is going to see that. And I like to think that Pochettino doesn't see that. And I hope he's happy enough yeah. to sell him. Um, so I think we've got, we're in a good chance there for Colwell to really secure a future at the Albion. I think that'd be a great shout for us because I think he's so good on the ball, off the ball in defense and, you know, pushing from the, pushing from the back and the, the way, balance between the right footed dunk and the left footed Colwell really works. It really does. It really does. So I really think that that's something that we need to explore. Um, I'm sure that there's probably been many conversations had in the background. We know what we know. Barbara and Bloom are very secretive with their transfer negotiations. So it would, it, it wouldn't surprise me if something, something comes in the near future, but I really, I really hope that Colwell stays beyond this season for us because he's been he's been so good for us he ne- he needs to come in there and we need the depth in quality as well as you know in numbers yes and um speaking of i guess next season one player was a notable absentee from um the matchday squad robert sanchez was not on the bench uh tom mcgill third choice keeper was in his place and um that raised a few eyebrows thinking you know is he injured is he ill whatever um but it all became clear after uh, the match but uh, roberto de zerbi was fairly coy and non-committal about it not really giving too much away but he said uh we spoke two days ago him and sanchez and that's on the friday uh we found an agreement that on Sunday he is not going to come here to Arsenal. He knew he was not going to play, so we found an agreement on that. So hard to know what that means. Um, I guess we don't want to speculate too much, but we're going to a little bit. <laughs> um, what do you think this means, Tom, for Sanchez going forward? Obviously, he's been second choice since early april to jason Steele, who i think is probably not as or maybe as as well-rounded as sanchez i don't think he has the athleticism or the the wow factor that a sanchez can produce but he's a better footballer um he, he he does uh he's able to produce 
what De Zerbi wants, which is, you know, passing out from the back. I mean, sometimes his his ability on the ball is, is just fantastic, just in terms of luring in defenders and you've got your heart in your mouth, but then he'll pass it away. And there was almost just really quickly, there was almost a moment when he had a pass to Gross and it was about an inch or two away from Xhaka intercepting it. But then Brighton managed to go up the other end, end of the field and then CISO normally six one in the top corner in the first half. So, but yes, I digress. So, Tom, what do you make of those comments from De Zerbi and what do you think this means for Sanchez's future? I, I I think it's I think it speaks volumes. I think we we could be expecting him to be our high profile outgoing goalkeeper. Oh wow. I, I, I do. I, I think that's if if that's the way it's going about, like and you know, Deserbi was very blunt and to the point with it as well. I don't he was very different. He was hoping to keep Trossard. Let's not forget the way he was quite, he needs some time off. He needs to think and, you know, he needs to put his mindset, focus on, on the team. And then, you know, we, we hear all the speculation about scrap with Adam Lalana. So he's gone. Then we think we hear about Moises Caicedo wanting to leave to join Arsenal and, you know, the whole farce with um, the, the those football agents um, taking over his Instagram account, etc. Again, deserve he managed it well and it was different. It, it, it was just, the tone is different this time around. It just seems, I think, reason it in, like I, I said, I, I expected Sanchez to start against Arsenal. I really thought that was going to be the case because I thought Steele had a really, he didn't, I think, like everyone, everyone, other, every other player there on that pitch, he did not have a good game against Everton at all. Yeah. And if I was Sanchez, yeah, I would be expecting to push on from there. So quite clearly, Zerbi gave still a vote of confidence saying, no, you're still going to start, you're still going to play. And I think, obviously, a couple of days in, you know, there must be some training drills where Sanchez just must be like, I'm on the bench again. There must have been a conversation and, you know, Zerbi just man-managed and just said, well, okay, I'll drop you. I'll, put, I'll, bring in, I'll bring on McGill and that's the end of that. And I think that's probably the right way to go about it. I think from... Judging by how he spoke about it, I just don't see Sanchez now in in our squad going forward. But it will be interesting to see what the selection press is going to be like. Can I see still playing every single match? Maybe. I think we could see a bit of rotation. Maybe Sanchez could get called up. Who knows? We're going down the depths into the dark arts of football speculation here. But I've always had this feeling that Sanchez's time at the Albion is going to be up soon because he's been knocking on the door for the Spanish number one spot. So I'm I've just got this feeling that something something's coming up, and I think that's going to be the case with um, with Sanchez. I think it, I, I think it's time the Albion's up now, which is a shame, and I think we could expect a bit of window shopping for a new goalkeeper in the summer. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past it. Yeah, I, I think, obviously, I don't know at all the ins and outs. I don't know what's happened. Um, but I don't think signs like this are good. I don't think if the if everything was rosy, your former number one keeper will be left out of the, uh, the matchday squad. I wonder if this is going to be a similar situation to... Um, to Sanchez's sort of number one predecessor, Matt Ryan, when Graham Potter sort of 
you essentially said your surplus to requirements. I I do. I, I, I've part of me was was hoping um, that this would sort of act as a kick up the backside for Sanchez, and then he would become a better keeper as a result. But it seemed as if Steele is his guy for the time being. And yeah, I wonder if if um, Sanchez will go. Well, okay, well, this is not working out, um, and I'll look for pastures new in in the summer. I don't think he'll be short of suitors. Um, I, I think if if he did go, Brighton would be able to get, you know, maybe twenty, thirty million for him. I think I think they could get a hefty, hefty chunk of money. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, I, 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 I um, I'm pretty sure. This will be asked about ahead of the the Newcastle game, if there's been a fallout or or whatever. But yes, these um, it is it isn't the best sort of noises to be coming out of the Brighton camp. It's a shame um, because I do think that's there's a very talented goalkeeper that just needs is a little rough around the edges, has a mistake in him. But if that can be an iron doubt, he could be a a really really good keeper. Yeah, um, absolutely. But. Yes, I. I'll be yeah. I, I'd like to hear a bit more before saying he's off. But yeah, I think the um, this is this doesn't look too promising. I guess. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's just nothing more than just a slight disagreement, and they've they've made up and walked under the bridge because Sanchez is a quality keeper. There's no doubt about that. But look, guys, we're going to leave it there because we've got a lot to think about. We've got lot of prep for the Newcastle match and then the Southampton match. Lot, lot, lots coming at us thick and fast over the next couple of weeks. So as ever, thanks for watching on YouTube. Thank you for listening on your podcast platforms. Be sure to like, subscribe, read, read um, write nice reviews about us and, uh, you know, send the pod along to any other Brighton fans that you know. Till then, guys, we'll speak on later when we talk about the Newcastle and Southampton match. Till then, up the Albion.